Welcome back to the Super Flexible Podcast. Per usual, the voice of me. But I'm very excited. I am here with a Super Flex and two quarterback OG. The one and only Sal Stefanali. How the hell are you? Thanks for coming on. I am doing great. Thank you for the invite. I will say it's a little weird being on a Superflex podcast, Superflex Dynasty-ish podcast, and it's not hosted by at Superflex Dude. <laughs> Superflex Dude. Shout out Superflex Dude. I don't know if that's good or bad, Sal. We'll, we'll see what we can do fantastic. here. We need to we need to get away from the tyranny of QBX just taking over Dynasty and ruining Superflex ADP. See, and and I I I appreciate QBX. I'm not gonna lie. I do things a little different than John, though. I'm not gonna say I I'm more like QBs early and often, and then get away from it. He's kind of just like all through the draft, like. I don't care who I'm leaving with and how many there are, but like headcount, which which I appreciate. And John puts a lot of work into that and the streaming possibilities with those positions. But but yes, I have found that um, he's gone a little further with it than me, to be completely honest with you. So I do want to I do want to regress a little bit. If anybody doesn't know for any reason at all, Sal does a lot over at four for four. He's the creator of fun. And if you don't follow Sal, if you do follow Sal, you already know that if you don't follow Sal, you're missing out on a lot of fun. And then over at two quarterbacks, are you also the creator of fun there? <laughs> sure. I'm the, the creator of fun of and the whole world. I love that. That you should change that then. Just like creator fun of the whole world. But we want to also focus a little bit on the creator fun of the Superflex draft guide that Sal put together for everybody. And it's like gotta be one of the biggest Superflex tools and guides I've seen all in one place. It's freaking impressive. Like we were saying before we started the show, like I wanted to find a way to like Shout out everybody that put work into this, but the list and the work is just crazy. But man, and I don't, I mean, but man, I don't know, dude. You, I, I guess we could do that pretty easy. Greg Smith, if I get anybody's names here wrong, will you help me, Sal? I can't, I can't guarantee I'm horrible at names. Pat Manazelli? Oh, Pete. Pete Manzel, it's uh, Peter Oberzitz. That's an easy ego. mess up because there's no Pete, there's no A. So, <laughs> Pat. <laughs> Kenny Heidenhoe, John Proctor, the year of the stack. I want to talk a little bit about the stack. Jack Miller, Chris Allen, yourself, Justin Edwards, Renee Miller, beating the bias. I I read that a little bit because as I said at the beginning of the show, I'm quarterbacks early and often, and she's kind of going against that grain a little bit, which, which I can appreciate. And then Ben Gretsch. I think I got everybody that put some work into this mentioned. And then uh, and Peter Howard's projections. Peter, why don't you have him in the table of contacts? We have him there, page seventy-one, QB depth chart, fantasy projections. Oh, yep, yep. featuring all of Peter Howard's fantasy QB projections. He's got a big. That's why I miss it. He's got a, his own little. Spot He's got his own there. section. Yeah. Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all. I said how I do my quarterbacks a little bit. We mentioned John. How do you go into your super flex leagues? And, and what, I mean, where do you want to go first? Like, 
how differently do you per- approach your dynasty versus a redraft? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple for me because I don't play dynasty. But if I did, not a one. I know I'm not. I I have a fear of commitment. I, I don't <laughs> want to manage the exact same fantasy team year after year after year. I honestly, I just get bored of it. To, to tell you the truth, and I let everybody know that I have nothing against the format itself and people who love Dynasty. I just cannot get into it after years of trying. It, it's the but, commitment. You can't have betrayal without trust, Sal. <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. But uh, for me, like I know I would want to try to get at least one young elite quarterback in Dynasty that can like anchor my team around. Although looking at the Superflex startup. ADP, which I did on a weekly basis earlier this offseason because I host this show on 4-4 called 4-Minute Drill, and we just did Dynasty every week with my good buddy uh, George Criticos at Rotohack. So I was always looking at the Superflex ADP from DLF, and the values of these young quarterbacks was just mind-boggling to me. Like, I had to use, if if I wanted to, based on this ADP, I'd have to use a first-round pick on Trevor Lawrence in a startup draft. And yeah. I just cannot get behind that. So then I'd have to, like, probably, like, pivot to, like, the Justin Fields or the Trey Lances. But even now, their ADPs are creeping up. I think I saw John tweet about it the other day that those guys are now into, like, the second round of yeah. Superflex startup. So... I feel like Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Yeah, I know. I might not ever get one of those young quarterbacks in Superflex um, Dynasty because I've also learned over the years that if you don't draft one of those guys and you want to trade for them, it's going to be even more expensive. So to be honest, I'd probably lose my Dynasty League every year because I just don't want to pay those prices. Yeah. And, And I mean, the risk in that, and we all kind of know about it. Everybody wants to tell you that there's a 60% chance that some of these guys hit. So some of them aren't going to at some level. And I don't know. So I agree, man, putting, and I love rookies, but even when we're talking about rookies on rookie fever, that's something we kind of try to temper some expectations, even as we're getting excited about some of these rookies. So in a redraft format, I mean, are you reaching on any of those like your seasonal leagues? That's the nice thing about redraft is you don't need to reach on those rookie quarterbacks because they just aren't – people are just afraid in general of rookies at any position to draft them early in redraft leagues. So you get a little bit of a valley with those quarterbacks. And uh, ever since – I want to say Cam Newton's rookie season and when he proved rookie quarterbacks can be productive fantasy players from the get-go i've been all in on rookie quarterbacks because i feel like they tend to provide the most value you know like do i want to i don't know, say draft uh let's say i don't know, matthew stafford as my qb 14 or do i want to wait a little bit and target someone like justin fields or trey lance a few rounds later and I'm going to go with that value because I feel like those quarterbacks, if they start from week one, are going to produce, provide as much or if not more fantasy value than like the Matthew Stafford, especially for me, because I prefer to target quarterbacks who have that you no know, Konami code appeal to them. Shout out to uh, our good buddy, Lord Reeves. Um, yeah, and I read the Konami, Konami codes section and he has it like broke down in sections of different levels of konami code so i thought that was pretty interesting the way he did that too jared goff a konami code quarterback (laughs) 
I mean, there's a little bit of it there, right? Yeah. And I didn't think about it that way until I read it, though, honestly. But then you read it and you're like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> and, and that's what this is all about, kind of just digging into things from a different approach. And, I mean, you guys did the work for everybody right here so they don't have to do it. And they can just – I don't know. So how do you find the Superflex Draft Guide? So you go to superflex.guide. That is a very real URL. Somehow the internet let me buy that URL. I don't know how it was available uh, because we used to be on 2qbs.com, but we let that site die and got overtaken by pirates. So if you actually go to 2qbs.com, that has absolutely nothing to do with us whatsoever. Someone just bought it and just scraped like the homepage and kept it up for like the, the page views. But yeah, superflex.guide. And then on the homepage, there'll be a link to purchase the the Superflex guide. But like, yeah, you're mentioning um, Jared Goff and like potential Konami code. Uh, that article was written by uh, Kenny Heitenhove at Kenny QBL on Twitter from the QB list. And if you go through the article, I have it up right now. And this surprised me too when he said it at um, where was it? Um, both Jared Goff and Teddy Bridgewater, who he combined the group together in here, both had a career high in rushing attempts last season. Like, so you're looking for all these small edges that you can when you're trying to like pinpoint either like quarterback breakouts, quarterback sleepers, quarterback targets, because to me, I'm not sure how you feel about quarterbacks specifically in redraft, but I find that I could target like anywhere between like 15 to like 20 quarterbacks who I'd be okay with as my QB one. So from that point, it's just trying to rank them uh, in terms of who I would rather have. And usually that kind of just comes down to cost. Yeah. And, and for me, I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I'm a Detroit fan. So I've already, even in my dynasty leagues, I've approached the golf teams a lot and acquired a lot of him. So he's already somebody I think about that I would be targeting in a seasonal format and, and I mean, same with like somebody like Derek Carr. You mentioned Stafford. Some of those guys, like, absolutely, I think could help you later. Um, it, it's interesting because I've never done a redraft super flex or two quarterback league outside of the Scott Fishbowl. And you've never done a dynasty. Well, I've done them. I just don't do them anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but, but, um, so outside of Scott Fishbowl, like, I've never done one. And in those, I can tell you, I really like to secure my, my two quarterbacks kind of early, but that also has like scoring coming into play, like the big negatives that we get in Scott Fishbowl. But I did double tap quarterback at, at 12 and 201 there. I took Herbert and Aaron Rodgers. And then after that, I kind of waited. So I'm curious what you think about that and what what you did in that situation yeah uh well the thing you was, were a 12 as well i was uh one of the 12s i picked that because of that third round reversal yes i, I gotta say the scott fishbowl is very unique and different <laughs> than your traditional uh, super flex redraft league so it's kind of yeah. hard to compare what we do that with other redraft uh, leagues but for myself and that one based on years of experience i knew going into it i wanted to hammer quarterbacks and tight ends early because of the scoring format and the roster lineup construction and i was able to do just that specifically i'm trying to remember exactly who i ended up taking but i do remember 
Jalen Hurts was like my first quarterback. And I'd have to um, look it up. I was actually looking at my team earlier this season just to see if I got hit hard by any <laughs> injuries or players that have just sucked in preseason. And I have it. Let me get it up here. Um, <clears throat> so at Jalen Hurts, uh, Trevor Lawrence early-ish, and then I was able to uh, tack on Zach Wilson later on because it was at that time when People just didn't care about Zach Wilson and redraft. Although I feel like he was kind of like one of the safer-ish rookie quarterback picks because we know for sure he's going to be starting every single game this season. Exactly. I mean, they would literally have to find a different quarterback <laughs> to come into the team if you think anybody's going to take Zach Wilson's job without an injury. So I do want to know also a little bit. I don't know if we ever really got there, though. Like, So what are you doing in your redraft format at quarterback let's say i don't know 10 to 12 leagues does your, does your strategy change in 10 league um uh, in 10 team leagues i would wait even longer on my quarterbacks because yeah. like i said i have a very deep roster of quarterbacks i'm comfortable with either as my qb1 or my qb2 so i don't mind waiting like i've had years of practice waiting on drafting quarterbacks and superflex in two quarterback leagues so like in 10 team leagues i'm waiting even more than i am in 12 team leagues but preferably i would like to target at least one of the top 12 guys and it's usually kind of closer to like the qb8 to qb12 tier just based on adp and then i just like to wait um, as long as I can hold out to kind of just target a couple of like mid-tier QB2 options, I can kind of like stream based on matchups in season. So like when you talk about quarterback streaming and like one quarterback leagues, it's much easier to do because you can grab like one of the, like the top 15 quarterbacks at any point during the draft and then grab guys off the waiver wire and stream them in the season, but you can't do that in Superflex League because they're all drafted. So what right. you have to do is look at like strength of schedule and try to see who matches up well with each other. But also, not only that, but you also have to see who matches up well, but at what cost that you can realistically target them in your Superflex draft based on ADP, which that can be the hard part. And I know luckily over at 4 for 4 we have these um, hotspots, strength of schedule tools, that shows you week by week everyone's schedule and how easy or how hard it is. And I was able to pinpoint uh, Baker Mayfield and Ryan Fitzpatrick as like the ideal QB2 streaming pair that like one week or the other, I would feel comfortable starting one in a, a like neutral to very good matchup based on opposing defense. So that's kind of been my strategy over the years. And that's like, my specific strategy this year of course though i am more than okay like deviating from that if like the value falls and the great thing about superflex league which you know probably from dynasty but in redraft it's even more prevalent is that every single superflex draft is different from the other one you don't know going into it if it's going to be a league where it's going to be qb heavy you don't know if it's going to be a league where people wait on quarterbacks John Hogue's in there, so everybody's <laughs> taking quarterbacks because they know he's going to be. Right. And, like, the thing with, like, Superflex Leagues I've found over the years, especially if it's your first Superflex League, it could go either extreme where, like, everyone is either like, oh, wow, I can start two quarterbacks now, so I have to draft too early. I'm going to do it. And then, like, all the quarterbacks just start flying off the board. Like, I've been in Superflex redraft leagues in the past where the entire first round was nothing but quarterbacks. It's crazy. 
Or you're like, well, yeah, it's okay. I'm going to start a second quarterback, but maybe I just don't have to. I'm going to take my one quarterback mentality to it. And that's honestly what I love about Superflex leagues the most is the unpredictability of them. And that's a little bit what Renee Miller talked about on the Superflex draft guide. And she called it beating the bias. And it was kind of trying to approach that fear of missing out on quarterbacks in short. Um, and is that, is that kind of the approach you're taking as well? Yeah. Cause I, I learned that the hard way over the years in my very first Superflex league, I had that exact mentality. It's like, I have to draft quarterbacks. I don't want to miss out on them. Like I don't want to go into this league and then end up starting like two of the three worst quarterbacks in the league every week because I waited too long on quarterbacks. So uh, the draw. You see those runs, like she mentioned, and all of yep. a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't going to, but now I have to. Yeah, no, we experience that in every draft, right? At every position, you're just always wondering, like, when is the run going to happen and when do I have to beat the run so, like, I'm not playing catch up? And so I remembered my first, like, Superflex league and just how I went into it. And I feel like how a lot of people go into Superflex leagues the first time they play with um, that second quarterback slot. So that's why I came up with that idea of an article. And I knew Renee would be the best person to write it because she does a lot of stuff with like recency bias and just like the psychology behind drafting in fantasy football leagues. And she did a bang up job with that article. I feel like if you are in your very first Superflex League and you buy this draft guide, that should be the first article you read. Awesome. And yeah, I, I went there right away, to be honest with you, and just because it said beating the bias. And I know how I approach a lot of it. And I wanted to obviously look at it with an open mind and me being more of a dynasty head. Um, great read. But the whole thing was, too, because then even you talk about strength of schedule. And you can get all that at four for four, like you mentioned. But then it also made me think of um, Justin Edwards did the office offensive line impacts winning your super flex league in the trenches. So if you can combine that with strength of schedule, is that something, too, that would make it even I, I'm struggling to find a way to ask the question. But is that worth looking at? I think um Offensive line analysis in the fantasy industry is very underrated and there should be a whole lot more of it because it all starts with the trenches, right? The guys blocking for the running backs, the guys blocking for the quarterbacks. They're going to have a huge impact on how those guys produce on the field. And Justin is like one of the top O-line experts out there who studies the trenches more than anybody else that I can think of in the fantasy industry. So I trust him when he tells me which offensive lines are good and which offensive lines are bad. And it's all part of the puzzle, right? When you're doing your fantasy research is, okay, I have these quarterbacks ranked and now let me read this article from Justin on the O-lines. Okay. This offensive line is above and beyond any of the other lines in the league. Maybe that's going to make me bump up that quarterback a little bit. In my rankings, because I'll just feel safer that, now, if a quarterback has a clean pocket for a longer time than another quarterback, it's just going to give them that extra opportunity to produce even more than you would imagine that they would when you're like first doing your research for your fantasy drafts. Or like on the flip side, if there's maybe a quarterback you're in love with, and then you go look at Justin's like offensive line rankings, and he's behind a really bad offensive line, 
which means he might not have enough time to throw, which means he's going to get sacked more. If he gets sacked, he's not passing ball. If he's not passing ball, he's not getting passing yards or passing touchdowns. So that it all just rolls into just like one big ball of fantasy football research and analysis. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So uh, moving on now, because, man, there's so much to fit in here, but I did want to talk. I wanted to get your feeling because – and I think this is the the article – or section of this was titled very correctly because it has <laughs> been the absolute year of the stack. It has gone crazy. We've heard about it for years, but this year it seems like a heavy push on the stacks. I, I like that... stacks because I think they're kind of cute. I have fun with them. And, and I don't <laughs> mean that in a derogatory way at all. But I don't like how important do you feel it is to stack? I think stacks has become a very trendy topic in the fantasy industry, mainly because of best ball and how everybody is drafting on underdog every single day. Like I'll see like hundreds or thousands of tweets, everybody tweeting out their best ball lineup on underdog. And I do the same thing and like best ball. Yeah. I'm always about the stack, but in redraft, it's not something I go into my draft targeting specific stacks or specific players. I personally just want to, I mean, I know it's very simple to say, but I just want to get the best players possible that I can. And if I end up, say, drafting a Trevor Lawrence and I draft, like, say, a DJ Chark later on, it's not because I'm doing it purposely. It just happens to fall that way. So I don't go out of my way to, like, target stacks before my draft. And I don't go out of my way to, like, pair a specific receiver, tight end, or running back with a quarterback I drafted earlier because I don't want to force that on myself. But if it makes sense... The player is a good player. The value is a good value. I have absolutely no issues with stacking and redraft. I know there a lot of people over the years will complain like, well, why would you want? Um, like, for example, if you say you drafted uh, Trevor Lawrence and like say later on you drafted like a DJ Chark and LaVisca Cresnault, I would always see people like, why would you draft two receivers on the same team? Are they going to cancel each other out? But like in specific offenses, it can work depending on like how high of a passing volume it is. Like say last year, if you had, you know, Justin Allen and like um, Stefan Diggs and that um, anti-vaxxer receiver, you had two guys that finished as like top 25 receivers. You wouldn't think of it going into the season or like Minnesota had two top 10 wide receivers. Like in specific instances, it does work. And I have no issues drafting two players at the same position on my redraft team. Because if like, they're in that type of offense where the volume justifies it. It can work. But like the overall theme of stacking, while I love stacking in best ball, I don't force myself to do it in redraft. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a couple examples too. I remember throughout like just history of playing fantasy football where you see two teams with two quarterbacks. You mentioned the two 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 wide receivers, excuse me. I'm I'm trying to think of some examples. Um but even like uh, Jordy Nelson and uh, what was his name on the Packers? Greg, uh, dude. Greg Jennings? Yes, Jennings. And he's from Kalamazoo where I live. <laughs> and I remember he had those guys and kind of being like, huh, you know. But then he always had this high floor because both of them were scoring points. You never knew who was going to be the one that had the most points. But he seemed to have, like, with the two of them together, even if one of them showed their floor and the other one an absolute ceiling, their average seemed to be, like, 
20 points, even if one of them only had nine and the other one carried the other one. It's like his floor seems so safe with those two wide receivers. So, but for me, yeah, the stacks, like there's stacks I want and stacks I go after, but I never look at it like I want that advantage or it, it I don't know. I, I, I like the way you said it. It's become a, a trend this year. Like I'd say for for the example, if you went into your redraft league with the mentality of stacking and you just focused on specific stacks, you'd be missing out on so many other players. Like say for example, it's like okay, I'm, I'm going to go into this draft and I'm going to make sure that I draft Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley, and you're just so zeroed in on that, you're just yeah. missing out on other players that who might be better in the long run in fantasy. I mean, those are good players who I do believe are going to put up decent enough fantasy seasons, but you're just you're eliminating the possibility of other players at your position. And then some sacks are just so pricey, and there's no way you can do it. Like, I would love to come out of my Superflex League with, say, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but that's just not going to happen unless somehow you play in a league where like they just don't care about tight ends and you have like the last pick and some of Patrick Mahomes falls to like 12 and you double tap him with Kelsey. But that's just like so rare <laughs> to see happen. So what you're saying is unless it's Alex Smith and emergency quarterback, Logan <laughs> Thomas in 2020, you're not worried about the stack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I mean, which brings me to, I mean, you, so you did, you did some work on this too, as well as all the other amazing people, but you did the 2021 backup quarterbacks. Who are some backup quarterbacks you feel are important? Well, we've already seen it this offseason, right, with the Carson Wentz injury, and all of a sudden everyone's talking about Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger. So that's one situation. I like to look at it on a team-by-team basis, and I like to see, oh yeah, one, how good is the starting quarterback? Two, how much confidence does the head coach have in that quarterback? And then I kind of like go from there trying to pinpoint potential teams where the current backup quarterback might start at some point in the season, whether it's due to injury, whether it's due to the quarterback in front of him just not being that good, or maybe the quarterback in front of him is good, but the team just hasn't been winning and the coach has just kind of been like frustrated of losing and they need a spark. Cause we've seen it in the past, like in situations where over the years, a team has had the same starting quarterback, but they just can't get to that next level. And then maybe they drafted a rookie quarterback and you know, the every head coach's favorite player is the backup quarterback because they already know what they've seen in the starting quarterback and in their mind they think this quarterback can give them a spark i always go back to the um the josh freeman situation in tampa bay from years ago when they drafted mike lennon and uh, greg shiano was the head coach and like josh freeman was a decent enough quarterback and it wasn't his fault that the buccaneers were losing but when you're the quarterback, you take all the glory, but you also get all of the blame when you're losing. Yeah. So, so for me this year, that situation I feel like could happen again is in Minnesota. The Vikings just haven't had a consistently winning um, presence with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Nothing against Kirk Cousins. I think he is a decent starting quarterback in the NFL and a decent, more than decent, actually quarterback in fantasy. He's produced uh, many, many times consistently over the years. But if you look at their record, it's not been a good record 
the last three years, there's always been high expectations with his Vikings team because they have a good offense, they have a good defense, they have a good special teams. They're always considered a playoff contender, but they just can't go deep into the playoffs. Mike Zimmer is like one of those old school mentality head coaches. Winning matters. I don't think I don't think he cares who helps them win as long as they're winning. So I could see a situation unfold where if the Vikings get out to a slow start that Zimmer looks to the sidelines and he sees Kellen Mond, this quarterback they used a high draft pick on. They Did they need to draft a rookie quarterback that early? I, I don't think so, but they did. And then it starts going through your mind, well, Kirk Cousins uh, can't do this, so maybe it's Kellen Mond time. Yeah, and I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's a fourth rounder too, and unfootball related reasons i mean like he's mentioned zimmer i mean he already seems a little frustrated with the quarterback room so if Kirk cousins isn't able to get the wins like you said you could see him maybe seeing what he's his rookie has before the next draft yeah i mean three years as the starting quarterback the vikings they have a 25 22 one record just one playoff appearance i don't think that cuts it in minnesota yeah I like uh, the backup quarterback I've been trying to get attached to as much as I can in Dynasty has been Taylor Heineke, just because I'm I'm not a huge Ryan Fitzpatrick guy and kind of the same thing. Like I'm trying to find a guy that could increase value sometime within the season and the price that you were getting him for a couple months ago was literally free. So if anything were to happen with somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick who hasn't started 16 games since 2015 and he's only done it three times i don't know you could see that value increase in taylor heineke where you're not he's not going to be the guy that wins you your league i don't think i don't i'm not calling him a league winner but i think in that format he's somebody that could win you a long-term trade yeah and those are the exact types of situations i try to pinpoint going into the season um, I feel like he would be a type of quarterback I would personally love to draft usually, but I have like an anti like no asshole stance on my fantasy teams, and he's just someone I I don't <laughs> draft because of the person he is in real life. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater, which I mean that one that one Drew Lock and Teddy that's still to be seen, right? But then Mike Glennon. So some I know you love you some Daniel Jones. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's my favorite backup quarterback. <laughs> Taysom Hill, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, who I think we should see start pretty early. But then Tim Boyle. You hate Jared Goff. It's uh, All those quarterbacks you listed, it, it's a very mixed type of QB2, right? Like you have situations where the teams are still trying to figure out who the quarterback one is in New Orleans and in Denver. Um Drew Locke has played very well this preseason, so it seems like he's kind of um, lifted himself above Bridgewater in that quarterback competition. But then at the same time, we've seen Drew Locke on the field in the past, so you like <laughs> we know what he can do. And it's a situation where I just feel Teddy Bridgewater is the better quarterback, so he would be the guy I would want to maybe not draft, but... Well, maybe not draft early enough because in like redraft superflex, these ADPs, some of these quarterbacks were going pretty late. So I'd rather take a late round flyer on a Teddy Bridgewater than Drew Locke, for example. Uh, Taysom Hill, like I just know that if Taysom Hill got to start every single game, it might not be pretty in real life, 
but those fantasy right. stat sheets are going to just be stockpiled of rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, and those matter sometimes more than passing yards and passing touchdowns. And we were seeing it with Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Like those guys are outproducing, outperforming their starting quarterbacks on their respective teams by like a large margin, even though their head coaches don't want <laughs> don't want to admit anything publicly yet. Uh, and Tim Boyle, it's just more of a, like, I've just been a Tim Boyle believer over the years, and I just am not into Jared Goff. So I'd rather bypass drafting Jared Goff and just kind of, like, wait in the season to see if maybe Tim Boyle gets to start him at some, gets to start over him at some point. Or even with injury. I mean, you even have some guys on here like that, like Mitch Trubisky. He's not under the um, beam me up Scotty section. But, I mean, if Josh Allen were to get hurt, like, Mitch Trubisky is arguably one of the better backups in the league. Yeah, it's like it's. I take the mentality of you know when we draft hand, running back handcuffs in one quarterback redrafts, we're always going with the the mindset. Oh well, I'm going to draft Latavius Murray in case Alvin Kamara gets injured, right? And that's the type of mindset you should have with the quarterback position in superflex leagues. You might not have to draft them, but you want to know who they are in the event that you have to go like grab them off the waiver wires right away before anybody else in your league does. Because if you put in that research now to know every backup quarterback or even like some third stringers, you don't have to dilly dally with the research the moment it's time to pick them off off waivers. You've already put in all that time and effort in the off season. So like, for example, if a, um, you know, Sam Darnold uh, falters or he gets injured, you know, okay, well it's PJ Walker time. I'm going to go grab him right now before anybody else can. Or if, even if you have like an empty bench slot on your roster week to week, pick up some guy who you think yeah. could have value if they start. And if they don't, nothing happens. You just drop them. It didn't cost you anything. Right. Move somebody that gets hurt to your IR, pick somebody up. Or if you don't have somebody in your IR, find a way to move an injured player to your IR and utilize the IR spot too. Um. Let's see. Where was I? Man, there's so much, again, like, so I hate this word because we did a rookie fever show earlier and I realized that no matter how many people say it before or after me, I can't say anatomy very good. (laughs) Anatomy, anatomy, anatomy of 2020 Superflex playoff teams by Greg Smith. Let's skim back to that. So this, I mean, this shows like your whole, the whole draft. Yeah, Greg went through two um, Superflex leagues round by round. One was a 12-teamer, one was a 14-teamer, and he just liked to highlight takeaways from the winning rosters, which I think is a great exercise going back in the past to kind of see what uh, like helped you win your fantasy league and what kind of helped you lose your fantasy league. Yeah. Taking Kenyon Drake in round two doesn't help anybody. <laughs> But, I mean, this had a lot of people in it from, I mean, Michael Clay was in this draft. And is he the winner of this? I'm trying to remember, like, who got the. Uh, I got the article here. It was the um, team co-drafted by uh, Sean Siegel and Ben Gretsch. And that was team seven. Uh, No, team ten. Oh. So they drafted Kelsey first. Yeah, if you, you look at the roster, they waited. Uh, if anyone knows anything about Sean Siegel, the mastermind behind Zero RB, they didn't take their first running back until round six. 
So and that's, that's one of my um, favorite things I like to do in Superflex leagues myself is just stockpile talent at receiver and tight end before even going at the quarterback position. And the same thing, that I, I mean, at the running back position, but also the same thing with my QB2 position is because I know there's like a ton of quarterbacks I can target in the mid rounds as my second quarterback. I don't need to waste an early round pick on uh, like someone who might score like one or two fantasy points more per game than someone who I can get like three to four rounds later. And then just with running backs, I pretty much kind of like hate all running backs except like three or four of them. So I just like try to avoid that position as much as possible myself. So they're like my spirit animal in fantasy. Like I am, uh, I'm a zero RB modified zero RB truther. Oh, I like running backs. <laughs> um, so who are your two or three running backs you like? Yeah, so if I can't get, say, like Alvin Kamara or Antonio Gibson early there, then I just, like, wait. And then, like, I know we've been making a big deal in the industry this year about, like, the RB dead zone and how we should avoid those running backs, what is it, like, in rounds five to six or whatever. But I do find myself gravitating towards, like, a Mike Davis because I just feel like he's going to get all the volume in Atlanta and, like, none of the backups on that team are imposing. And then after that, I just wait as much as I can and I like I have, I have a, like a, a huge list of guys I think either have standalone value so th- like for example a running back with a pass catching role in a specific offense so say like a um, Naheem Hines for example or like a, a Tony Pollard or then I just kind of look at that I take that mentality of like I said like backup quarterbacks you want to target then like just those backup running backs who might have a role if the guy in front of them just gets injured or just isn't any good. And so you have like Alexander is, Madison and yeah, that list is very deep. <laughs> yeah. I, I just like, I, I like, this is, this is just one of my, uh, my spots. It's hard for me to like get away from drafting my running backs. I, I don't know if my running back gets hurt. I like to just have somebody else. I feel really good about to take that spot, like waiting. So if like, Barkley gets hurt. I I have Dobbins somewhere on my bench (laughs) and then he just goes into that spot and it's been hard for me to get into like handcuffing and zero RB. It hurts. It hurts my heart. (laughs) See, it hurts your heart, but it fills my heart. (laughs) Your heart is blackened. We can just co-draft the team together. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just tough for me, though. I feel like I can find wide receivers for days, for days. Um, what else did you want to get into? Anything you wanted to point out specifically and just about the draft guide? Like, what do you want the listeners here today and the people that are smart enough to go out and get the Superflex draft guide from you to take from this? I mean, I just want everybody listening who plays in a Superflex league to know that if they do purchase a copy of the 2021 Superflex Draft Guide from 2QBs that they are getting the best resource in the industry to help you win your Superflex League. And I know that sounds like, like a big boast for me and that maybe I have a huge ego, but the amount of work that went into this Draft Guide and the amount of talent behind the scenes of the people that wrote articles for this or contributed rankings um projections uh participated in the mock draft like if you read this draft guide from front to back 80 pages of content you are going to go into your superflex 
draft as the most confident drafter in your league. I can guarantee that because you're getting um, production from like the likes of Jack Miller, Chris Allen, Justin Edwards, Renee Miller, like Ben Gretsch wrote an article that's over 6,000 words on structural draft strategy in Superflex leagues, which I think might be one of the best fantasy articles I have read all year long. Like, hands down, the way Ben approaches fantasy in general is like something I just like am in awe of. <laughs> like, how he can sit down and just like put these words to paper and it just comes out. As, as a masterpiece, honestly. And then, like, on top of... Not only do we have, like, strategy articles and resources, but we have a 12-team mock draft from industry experts and, like, the likes of Sean Siegel, uh, Mike Clay, J.J. Zacharyson, Matt Harmon. I, like, I could go on and on and on. But if you're in a Superflex League and you want to know how the experts draft, you look at this mock draft. Just the mock draft board itself is a resource but then like we we recap it and we ask some questions about the draft strategy and getting to know what like rich rebar was thinking when he made a certain pick is just an invaluable resource that you can have going into your draft and then on top of that we have like quarterback projections from peter howard who i think is one of the best people in the industry when it comes to numbers and data and spreadsheets so we're very fortunate he shared his quarterback projections with us and then one of my favorite things of this draft is Greg's rankings cheat sheets because he knows just like me that every super flex league is unique and he knows you might find yourself in a league where you're drafting all the quarterbacks or you're drafting none of the quarterbacks. So then he provides two rankings cheat sheets, which he calls um, QB aggression and um, QB value. So one set of rankings for your super flex league all tiered in which, you know, maybe quarterbacks just aren't going as much as they should be. Like, everyone in the league is waiting, or maybe just a few are being sprinkled in the early rounds. And then he offers another set called the QB aggression, where, like, this is how his rankings would play out if everybody was, like, drafting quarterbacks early. And I don't think you see that anywhere else in the industry when it comes to super flex leagues. And uh, if I'm going into my draft, I'm having both sheets printed out one on each side, and then I see how the draft room and the draft board is going to determine which set of rankings I should use for the rest of the draft. Nice. I love it. And, and I mean, I want to second everything you said, and I want to go back to the part about, like you said, maybe maybe it sounds like I have an ego, but then you followed it up with all the people that were involved in this, and they really, like, you have the confidence in and were basically handpicked for this project because of their analysts or how they went about it in whatever subject that they could help you with. I mean, so to think that you have an ego or that some, to somebody, I hope nobody would think that the work into this just from people around the industry is far and above and beyond like just yourself. Even you, I, I don't know. I love that this was tackled this way and just so many different people with different topics not just one person's opinion on any given thing. And then, like you said, the confidence that people can take into their drafts with this and just from being able to look at all of these things from a different perspective and have that in the back of their head or right there for them during the draft is is amazing. So shout out to that 
huge group of people that worked on this. Yeah, and this is this is our third draft guide. We took a few years off, but every year Greg and I would have like a dream wish list of writers that we wanted to contribute to the draft guide. And then we also knew what their specialties were. And then we would come up with ideas for articles and then pitch them to them. Like, it's not like, say, we go and we have this writer we want and we go up to them like, hey, write whatever you want for this draft guide. Like, no, like, we know that if we reached out to Justin Edwards, for example, he's the O-line expert. And we're like, hey, Justin, do you want to write a article for our draft guide that relates to the offensive line and its impact, especially on quarterbacks and super flex league? Because we know he would just like take that article and hit a home run with it. Mm-hmm. And same with like with Renee Miller, we know she does a lot with psychology and years of experience with that you no know, FOMO fear of missing out on quarterbacks and Superflex that I think that would be the perfect article to read if you're going into your first Superflex league. And we've just been very fortunate over the years that everyone we reached out to would always say yes. And it's not like we would pick like some random stranger off the street, for example, to provide us quarterback projections. Like we know peter howard this is what he does like hey pete you want to give us some quarterback predictions yes like rankings it's not like greg and i just sit there and just throw a bunch of names at a wall and like hey here's our quarterback rankings like greg legitimately is one of the better rankers in the industry like he's been in the top of the list at fantasy pros accuracy rankings over the years and i trust him 100 percent to do what he does with his rankings and then on top of that, he just goes above and beyond and provides like these two very different sets of rankings for this draft guide. It would have been enough to just hear the like, here are my top 200 players in Superflex leagues. No, Greg's like, no, here's my top 180 if your league is QB light. Here's my top 180 if your league is QB heavy. And then on top of that, it's like, here are my auction values for 10 team leagues. Here are my auction values for 12 team leagues. Like, honestly, just those rankings, those four pages of rankings alone. Is worth more than the eleven dollars and eleven cents that we we're charging for this entire draft guide. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, man. So you guys have to go over there. Sal will tell you where to get it one more time on the way out. I've got one more question for you before you again tell them all about yourself and where to find you. Four for four podcast. Four questions. Four minutes. What's the closest we've ever got to four minutes? I think it was like five. Like four forty-five, five. It was the very last episode I did with um, George Criticos because he went off and bought a house and got a new job. So he left me as my regular uh, weekly guest host. And we're like, Greg, this, I mean uh, George, this is our very last episode together. Let's see if we can make it to four minutes. And like I said, I think we got to like four minutes and forty-five seconds. That's but usually close. most of them last around like eight to nine minutes. Yeah, I think I've seen them into the double digits. No, 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 no double digits because I have to make sure they're under 10 minutes or else I have to do editing and I cannot edit video. <laughs> That's awesome. Those are fun to watch too, though. No, it's great. So you guys need to check those out too. Yeah. So thanks a lot for coming on. I super appreciate you um, and the short notice we had to get you on. So tell them everything about you and where to find you in the Twitterverse in the world. Man, I uh, appreciate the invite. Um, Don't worry about the short notice. Anytime I have the opportunity to hype up all my friends and their awesome work in the industry, I will even go on a podcast if it's just like five minutes (laughs) before (laughs) that's all the notice (laughs) I get. 
because I just love promoting everybody's work as much as I can. But um, uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at SouthHow2. You can buy the draft guide at superflex.guide. And I am at Swagzilla0G. This is Super Flexible Pod on the Twitterverse. And we are out. <laughs>